Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode number five of the Canadian Real Estate Investor podcast. This is take three, but you guys don't know that's take one for you. It's take three for Dan and I. Dan, how you doing, bud? I'm actually better than I was during take one and take two. So it's funny, you know, I mean, my internet's working today. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Yeah, isn't that a convenient thing? Yeah. So so for everyone listening, I'll just tell you a little bit of a story. So Dan and I are just absolutely dedicated to putting out really solid content. So the the take one, we just didn't think was succinct enough to to release. So we decided to do another one. We did that yesterday. And Dan's Wi-Fi went down at about the 15-minute mark, which didn't leave us enough time to to get it going again. So we we said, okay, you know what, whatever, no big deal. We will take another run at it again today, which is Thursday the 21st. I am kind of on a semi-vacation up at a cottage on the Manitoulin Island, my family cottage. And guess what? Wi-Fi went down this morning. <laughs> so I spent the morning absolutely panicking and trying to call the neighbors. I know there's a guy with like Starlink a couple doors down, but he couldn't accommodate today. So anyways, long story short, big shout out to April and the Manitoulin Conference Center. I am currently sitting in a free motel room. I, I came in in a panic and said, please, I don't need to sleep. I don't need the bed. I just need two hours of Wi-Fi in a quiet space. And here we are, bro. Probably kind of weird request when they get those. I don't need to sleep. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't need the bed. Can you rent this room by the hour? <laughs> so are you trying to tell me that there are problems with the work from home thesis when it comes to rural areas in Northern Ontario or rural areas anywhere in Ontario. Don't bring me in on this. Don't make me the bad guy forever than sending people back to work. I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to segue to what we're going to be talking about today, which is some of the highest and lowest growth areas in real estate values and rents since the beginning of COVID. And we're also going to touch on month over month data as well. And I found it interesting because, you know, a lot of this is around the conversation of that work from home exodus outside of the urban areas. So, yeah, totally. I mean, we, we've seen a ton of that. And obviously, some of the places that we're going to be talking about today were, you know, based off of the numbers, some of the main places that, that you know, the mass exodus ended up in. So, Dan's right. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And these are kind of going to be reoccurring episodes. We're going to do one of these a month. And it's kind of going to be our, you know, market pulse check, creostat updates, similar to how the TCI guys do their, what do they call it, the earnings rundown or earnings roundup. So this is this is our version of that. And if you don't listen to the Canadian Investor TCI, that's kind of our sister company, parent company, whatever. Great guys doing great things over there. So if you're into stocks and want to understand the capital markets better, go give those guys a listen, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And don't forget about the little guys over here at the Canadian Real Estate Investor trying to do the same thing. They are our podfathers. Podfathers. Yes. They made us enough that we couldn't refuse, all right? So, Okay. Let's get into it here. Okay, so we're going to look at the highest and lowest growth over month to month. We're going to be, Dan's going to bring up some data from the HPI, which is the home price index. We're going to quickly look at rents and how COVID's affected them. And just to be clear, everyone, this is going to be over the last two years. So we're really going to only analyze the difference in prices since COVID. So obviously, you know, before we dive in, I do want to have a quick stat thrown out there. So the Canadian housing market has averaged 
6.11% yearly appreciation over the last 15 years. And these numbers are based off the median benchmark price for all of Canada across all property types. So let's just say you bought something for $260,000 in 2005. That would be now worth about $634,000 on average. So that just puts things into a little bit of a perspective for you. Now, that being said, Dan, why don't we jump right in to the highest growth? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it's interesting as well to outline the advantage, the big advantage of real estate from my perspective is the access to leverage. And if you're to take that mere 6.11% annualized growth in the Canadian housing market and make the assumption that you're buying these properties with, let's say, a 20% down payment, you can basically multiply those returns by five because you're getting a 5x leverage factor, right? So for the average person, you know, their levered return is approaching that that 30% on the cash that they put into their deal. You know, not accounting for the savings vehicle, the fact that you have to continue injecting equity, et cetera, et cetera. But interesting nonetheless. So the highest growth areas in the entire country of Canada, and it's going to sound like I'm just doing one province here, but the highest growth areas since the beginning of COVID. So I'm using January 2020, so pre-COVID date, to June 2022. So today, even though or even after the peak has already happened in a lot of these markets and prices are coming down in a lot of areas, sorry to break it to a lot of you, this is the list of the top growths pre-COVID to present day. North Bay, Tilsonburg District, Bancroft, Windsor, Essex, Greater Moncton, which is the only non-Ontario one on the list. The outlier. Sault Ste. Marie, Grey Bruce, Owen Sound, and Kawartha Lakes. So we're going to look at two of these just for fun to get an understanding for sort of like what they look like even after these absolutely wild run-ups. And I want to maybe hazard to, at the beginning, as a disclaimer, say I'm not advising anybody to jump into a market that just experienced 98.9% growth in the past two years. So North Bay, before COVID. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there was a period of time there during, you know, if you were to take the actual April 2020 kind of trough from COVID to, you know, peak in February, I would imagine there was probably a clean double for a lot of these areas. So North Bay, you could get a house, the average house based on the CREA Canadian Real Estate Association's house price index was $219,000 in January of 2020. And that same house now is $437,000. So the change is $217,000, give or take, which is about 98.9%. Or if you're to annualize that as a compounding annual growth rate of 32.9%. So why why North Bay? What happened? I know there's a U-Haul data, right? You know the U-Haul put out a stat last year, and it was for for both 2020 and 2021 that Alberta was actually the leading the list of growth provinces. So a lot of people were moving to Alberta, but North Bay was the top U-Haul growth city for the second consecutive year in a row. So this is a, basically an index that U-Haul puts out because they have mobility trends on where people are moving. Right? They're packing up their trucks. They're Taking them from, you know, you see a lot of U-Haul trucks with plates from different areas, right? So everybody's going to North Bay. And it was like that for 2020 and 2021, I think. They say 59.2% of all one-way U-Haul truck traffic in North Bay during 2021 was arrivals. And that is just crazy. First of all, let me say, I love the U-Haul stat. I think that's such a cool overlooked piece of data that 
that really is is a great indicator of trends, right? Where are people moving to? Where are people moving from? Is it a one-way? Is it a two-way? So to, for North Bay to hit that back-to-back, I mean, that's kind of crazy because, you know, yes, we've got Nipissing University and Canada College, and I think, you know, they have well over ten to 15,000 full-time students between the two of them. But the population North Bay isn't huge. You know, we're looking at 52,662. Now, if you compare that to some cities in the GTA, I mean, that's small, right? But for a Northern Canadian city, it, it's pretty big. It's close to cottage country. It's close to Sudbury. They're on the water. So there's talks of a large waterfront development. But I mean, to justify literally almost doubling in prices, that is kind of crazy. Now, I did pull some rental stats. They seem a bit low, but the average, it looks like the average one bed in North Bay rents for in and around a thousand dollars, probably a little bit more if you're if you're looking at a at a nicer spot. Now, Dan, you and I had pulled a couple pieces of property up, so and the average two bedroom rents for thirteen fifty. So I think those are on the lower side of things, especially with the crazy rent increases that we've seen. But why don't we talk a little bit about some of the some of the stuff we pulled up? So Dan and I do this for fun, and I'm sure most other investors out there do this as well. You know, go on Realtor.ca and and run the numbers. It's super simple, super super quick and easy. You can literally do it all. You just you just go over and input your mortgage term, your down payment, your mortgage rate, etc. So I've got one up here right now for four hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred dollars in North Bay. The address is one seventy one Fourth Avenue West in North Bay. Listed at four ninety nine. So let's just say you put 20% down, you know, you're not going to own or occupy it. You put 20% down, that's just about $100,000. 25-year AM at a 4.25% mortgage rate, you're looking at $2,158 in debt servicing. Now, if you were to rent that out, the, all the four, and that, that's, a, that's two one-bedrooms and two two-bedrooms. So right away, you're already looking at $4,700, and that's at that low end of rent. So let's just say you can get it up to five. That place is cash flowing fairly nicely. And I think that's not so unique for North Bay now. Doesn't need a little work. Yes. You know, are the, uh, yeah. and if, you know, if you guys are interested, go look up the address. Dan's, we're going through it right now. Yeah. The, probably the easiest way to find it. I mean, well, search 171 4th Avenue West in North Bay or the MLS number. Easier to search on realtor.ca is 402 3900, or sorry, 033. That number again, 402 39033. I mean, look, it's not bad. It's not a bad place. Like the yield is what does it. And and this place has been up on the market here for a hundred days, right? So it's not like it's this is going to sell over asking, right? Based on the the price expectation. So a, a fourplex for what one hundred twenty five grand a door. You know, even if you're getting that thousand bucks, I mean, the reality is it looks occupied. So you've got tenants that you're going to be assuming. In a likely scenario, I'm going to imagine that the rents are probably underperforming. But if this was a vacant suite, I mean, it really wouldn't be exceptionally bad. Like, you know, you could go and just quickly calculate the cap rate on that. Let's say we're using an absolute worst case scenario, right? So you're getting a thousand bucks a suite per month, right? Multiply that by 12. So you're getting like 48 grand a year. And if you divide that by your purchase price, let's say you're getting it at the 500 grand that it's listed at, you know, I mean, like this is based on a gross. So this is without your net, obviously. But on a gross cap basis, it's in the nines, right? So, you know, you assume a 30% expense margin on that. So take your income and multiply it by 70%, right? Then you're still in the six cap range, right? High six cap range, which to me is like, 
it's not a bad investment. And this might be one of those assets that's sort of stuck in the market during that downward price discovery where it's not actually, you know, it's not commanding that 98.9% inflated price, right? This might be one of those assets that ends up leading that charge down to a more realistic. Because I would look at a, a market like North Bay as an example, or any of the markets on this list, and I would say, look, any market that's seen 32% growth sustained over the past two years, or high double digit growth anyway, you know, if you're getting into the 20s, it's just not sustainable, right? Like that's unless wage and less economic growth in that area is keeping up with that, which it's just I'm sorry, it's just not happening in a lot of these areas economically, you know, in their local economic development, you got to see some some correction, a little bit of a reversion to the mean, right? And so there's risk in that sense, there's equity risk. But as an investment, like that fourplex that you just showed me and a couple other properties that we were looking at, 566 Main Street, 233 Princess Street, and 57 Johnson Road. Like, you know, a couple of properties in in the market that weren't exceptionally bad investments. You know, I'm not going to go and push investors to to go and jump into a market that's grown that quickly. But there are compelling investments, even in a market where equity is risk on, or what you know, what I would say if you're analyzing it like a stock, like our our pod fathers on the Canadian Investor Podcast might. I would say, you know, this might not be a value investment at this price. But they're still, you know, they're still compelling based on some fundamentals. So interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, I find that super interesting because you know, if you look at the numbers, okay, you know, you could buy a place in North Bay for two hundred nineteen thousand. Now the average price is four hundred thirty-seven thousand, but you can still hit a you know five, six, seven percent cap rate on on some of these things. That is. That's really interesting because GTA investors aren't used to seeing that kind of stuff, right? It's really the the drive for dollars investors that are that are seeing those places that are that are going to places like North Bay, Sudbury, Cornwall, London, etc. You know, the funny thing is, again, none, none of this is advice because very clearly, you know, if the damage has been done in North Bay, and and I just mean that in saying that. If you're trying to get up to North Bay to, you know, strike gold in, in some great real estate investment, you miss the boat, right? It's the same thing. Dan and I both got a a stock tip, not from the TCI guys, but we both got a stock tip recently from two different people, came to each other and said, Hey, did you hear about this? What do you think about this? And it's the same thing with with stock tips, right? Usually they don't add up. If someone's telling you to go up to North Bay because that's the promised land and and people are making a whole bunch of money up there, you probably missed the boat. So really I think, you know, Dan, what's what's your big takeaway from from this list before we because I know we're talking about one other place on here, but what's your takeaway from from this list overall? Yeah, so I think, you know, the the phenomenon you're just describing too is that buy the rumor, sell the news kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, look, when I look at this list, I think that I see a couple of things. I see there's a clear trend towards your sort of staycation, work from home, backyard premium, people trying to reconnect with nature, etc. And a lot of these things depend on the sustainability of that trend. So what you know, they depend on what the return to the workplace looks like, right? They depend on how work from home or hybrid work looks in the future in Canada. And I just don't know if that's a strong enough thesis for a, you know to hold to prop up an entire investment market. And I think, you know, the other piece is these are very much entry level markets, so right? So you're starting to see those like none of these have starting prices over $400,000, right? So you're starting to see a lot of these areas where young people, millennials who are just like, they're seeing prices accelerate as a result of the credit being pumped into the market. And they're saying, damn, I might never have an opportunity to own real estate if I don't go and buy. So I'm just going to go and buy a house in Tilsonburg or Bancroft or whatever. And I'm going to commute to Ottawa. You know, 
this is the unfortunate reality that we've run into as a result of the sort of asset bubble-esqueness that was caused by record low interest rates. So Moncton, I would say, is an outlier in that respect because, you know, Moncton is a small, but, you know, it's an economic hub. It's a regional economic hub. Yeah. Right? And it does have, it actually has some really solid employers. Like when I was looking at properties in Moncton, I was looking at basically places where you could drive to, or sorry, you could walk to a major employer in the area, right? Now, remind me, where is Moncton in Ontario again? Yeah, yeah. It's way far east. <laughs> so Moncton is not in Ontario. And I'm, I'm only making that joke because out of this entire list, Moncton is the only outlier that is not in the province of Ontario. Yeah. So Moncton is the, I guess it's considered the economic hub of that area of the of the Atlantic Canada. And it, it's got a handful of, of really solid businesses that are headquartered. Some are even founded there. So a couple of notable employers. I think the tallest building there in Moncton is the Assumption. I, I know a lot of this because I was out there looking at a portfolio like five or six years ago. It was a, a brand new build, three to four story stuff. I think it ended up actually getting picked up by Killam REIT, which is a, a big REIT in, in Eastern Canada. But you've got Pizza Delight Corporation, which is a restaurant chain that operates all over Canada. And 3,500 employees, major drilling group international was actually founded in Moncton and they operate all over the, the world. They're a, a global drilling company, 4,500 employees and headquartered in, in Moncton still. Assumption Life, which is a life insurance company in the Franco Assumption B, basically do a lot of insurance for the East Coast. It'd be like, you know, similar to your Desjardins here or State Farm here in, in Ontario or other areas of of the country. The Irving family was big in that area. So, you know, pretty solid economy. Like, and, and, you know, the East Coast knows how to do business and they know how to do it well. But it's also been an attractive place for millennials, especially to, and Halifax having that similar appeal to go and to chase jobs or to have that sort of urban walkability, that downtown intimacy, that feeling of living in a city without necessarily the cost of living in a city or without necessarily a lot of the, you get a lot of the pros and not a lot of the cons associated with that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the lobster is fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. So, sorry, East Coasters. I, you know, I don't have a ton of experience on the East Coast, so I had to do some research for Moncton and, you know, Moncton's cool. It, it did win. You you mentioned, you know, East Coast knows how to do business. Moncton actually, and I can't remember the the years, but they had won twice in the last, I believe, 15 or 20 years, some like best place to do business in Canada or most accepting of, of new businesses in Canada or something like that. So great to see that. Also pretty decent sized population within the city for a smaller East Coast city, just under 80,000 people. And then in the kind of greater Moncton area, we got just under 160,000 people. And I did find this kind of unique stat as well that that plays off of what you're saying, Dan, and I had to look this word up. So apparently Moncton is the largest catchment area in Atlantic Canada, with 1.6 million people living in a three-hour drive of the city. Now, what the hell does catchment mean? I asked the same question. So in human geography, it is the area in which a location such as a city, service, or institution attracts a population that uses its services and economic opportunities. So yeah. that is a major pull factor, right? Moncton is is the city center that, that people are going to be coming to. And again, I had a lot of friends that moved out east and whether, you're, you know, friends that are working from home that just wanted more affordability and a lifestyle change, friends that had job opportunities out there. So it's great to see that that the East Coast is growing. And to be honest, I like to see Moncton on the highest growth list. Uh, you know, 
Ontario doesn't get to have all the fun. Let someone else grow. Yeah, and so I think it's interesting too, especially for modeling the, you know, the math on the deals that we were just looking at. So in Moncton, the one bedroom rent is very similar to North Bay, right? It's it's around a thousand bucks on average, and that was I think up eleven percent year over year. That's based on data from Zumper.com, which is basically a a rental site for that's that's used pretty commonly in that area. And the prices don't really reflect the same growth, right? So you saw prices grow 87.9%, which is 29.8% calculated annual growth rate, whereas North Bay was, you know, 32% increase. But the big, the distinct difference is, you know, Greater Moncton started with $178,900 house price and it's gone now to $336,000 rather than in North Bay. That price again is almost 450 grand for your average house, right? So a lot more accessible market from an ownership perspective, but also a lot more accessible of a market from an investment perspective, right? And you know, there's sort of this philosophy in you know the way a lot of people invest is that you know, they they think about these urban areas as places of stability, right? So you wonder whether or not the longevity or the ability to continue and sustain that growth is perhaps better in a place like Moncton, in, in you know an economic hub like Moncton, rather than a place in rural Ontario such as North Bay, right? Makes you kind of reverse engineer and analyze, okay, who are the people that are moving to North Bay? I actually could see North Bay experiencing, you know, a little bit of a renaissance period for the next, you know, two decades, three decades as boomers start to seek out better retirement locations, etc. But does it have that long term stability as a as a major economic center that a place like Moncton would? And so that's again sort of where where it kind of boils down to. And if you were to just make an assumption based on using the same rents, but prices are about three quarters of what they are in a place like North Bay, you can, you know, you can kind of reverse engineer. It shouldn't be hard to find a 10 cap real estate investment, a 10 cap multiplex in in the greater Moncton area. You know, and and a lot of those cases because of the way these areas were built, you get some of that more historic density product, right? Some of these, you know, row housing or more dense homes like you're seeing in in downtown areas, even in Toronto, right? And you get some of that that kind of sexier product that young people like. They like to rent, they like to own, you know, Quebec City is a really good market for this kind of stuff as well. So yeah, that's that's my perspective on Moncton. Yeah. Before we dr- go to the lowest stuff, I, I I'm just curious. Now I don't have an answer for this. I don't expect you to either. But I'd be very curious to see what amount of those highest growth. How can I say this? How many people were long distance investors? Right, because both you and I know some small cap and large cap investors that have properties. I don't know anyone in Moncton, but I know people on the East Coast. I was on the phone with a client yesterday who, you know, he lives in in the GTA and he's putting a deal together outside of Halifax. Never seen the property, you know, did it all over the phone. How many long distance investors contributed to those numbers? And that's something maybe you and I can unpack and and get back to because I know that that was a a fairly major issue in the eyes of some, you know, saying that investors were a major catalyst in causing the housing crisis that we're in. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one, Dan. Yeah, I I think uh, New Brunswick actually has a double property tax for investors um, outside of province. Um, I'm gonna have to look up 
that they also do have some sort of like double tax reduction on on rents. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll I'll look into that next time you're um, speaking and and just inject that little piece because I think it might not be an exceptionally good place to do long uh, long distance investing. Um, which is, you know, I, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, so, but uh, the reality is, the price growth in a lot of these areas wasn't really driven by investors, right? Um, I think price growth is really driven by your marginal buyer, the people who you know don't necessarily have the same experience that investors do or career investors do, and um, kind of push that price up because they're only transacting real estate, maybe two to four times to throw out their lifetime. In a lot of cases, they have less experienced realtors, et cetera, right? So when you hear about this exuberance that's described by the Bank of Canada, I would say, you know, you're, I, I don't know necessarily if investors even really had all that much to do with it. I would say, if anything, the investors who did would be your sort of inexperienced ones, right? The people maybe levering up their primary residence just to try and get into a, a second home because of FOMO or whatever, right? So... Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Something we'll come back to. So anyways, let's dive into the lowest growth. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, looking at the top and and originally looking at the top of the list, the highest growth areas, there was a bunch of areas where I didn't really necessarily see myself even being compelled to invest just at face value. And, and even more so when you see those year over year growth. But, you know, unpacking some of those numbers of deals that you could still get in North Bay or Moncton, makes it you know seem somewhat compelling and, and maybe markets to watch as prices potentially recoil as a result of what's happening in the market right now. But when I looked at this list, the, the lowest change, these are all markets that I've, I've been salivating at the opportunity to potentially buy in regardless of what happens. And, and I can explain why a little bit and we'll maybe dive into to these markets a little bit. But so highest growth to lowest growth, Winnipeg, Calgary, Newfoundland and Labrador, Saskatoon, St. John's, Newfoundland, Edmonton, Saskatchewan as an entire province, so outside of the two major cities, and then Regina. And, you know, we'll use the lowest bound here. Regina actually had a calculate still had a calculated annual growth rate over that six point one one percent that Nick mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So it's changed it's grown about twenty percent since the beginning of COVID. And that annualizes to about seven point eight percent. So I mean that is that's kind of crazy that you know the average is six point one one percent, and now we're looking at Regina, which is nationally the lowest growth market, and that's still at a twenty percent. It's you know uh, it's it's crazy to me, right? Between if if twenty percent is the lowest, yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. And I think it's interesting, especially heading into this this oil. Boom that we're seeing, and, and you know, if you look at, eight, I think eight of the past eleven recessions were caused by a major run up in oil prices. But you look at the way that these markets performed in response to oil prices accelerating in two thousand eight or even past recessions, and they often trade. You know, the prairies not so much, but your Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, Saskatoon, they trade a lot based on these the commodities and the strength of those markets. And so I think like. From my perspective, there's a lot of potential for future growth or for at least stability in those markets just based on on how their economies are performing. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising to see essentially the rest of Canada makes up low, low growth. And and I think that's a good spot for, for me to jump in here and just pull a little bit of some demographics. So we all know that that Ontario is, is the biggest province, Toronto is the biggest city, but I didn't know to what extent. I didn't know the numbers fully. So 
Presently, 37 million people live in Canada. Now, about 14 million of them are in Ontario. Of those 14 million, 6 million live within the boundaries of Halton, Peel, York, Durham, and of course, the city of Toronto. Now, if you go a little further, the area that we all know as the Golden Horseshoe contains over 9 million people. So about one in every four Canadians. Now, I mean, the Golden Horseshoe, if you look at it on a map, is a tiny part of the overall country, but it's where so much of the action happens. So, you know, I feel like a lot of the real estate stats that we've seen and, you know, are, I mean, all the growth markets other than Moncton were were in Ontario, but are our stats all skewed because of the you know, hyper activity that we've seen in some of these regions, right? Halton, Peel, York, Durham, and the city of Toronto. One in four Canadians are there, Dan. Does that provide accurate representation of our real estate market? Or is it really just Ontario and Vancouver that are the problem and and the rest of the country is kind of looking at us like, what are you guys doing over there? Yeah. So I think that, you know, typically you are seeing an extended or a, an exacerbation of these trends and these problematic trends in in some of those urban areas, right? So greater Vancouver area and greater Toronto area, both of which have experienced pretty severe recoils. And, you know, I mean, it's so funny because you can go on TikTok and see a bunch of local realtors in either of these markets saying real estate only goes up in value. But the reality is both also experienced pretty severe recoils as a response to foreign investment policy changing in, in e- either of those those markets, right? So in 2016, Vancouver implemented a foreign investors tax or foreign buyers tax, and their prices came down and, and didn't really necessarily recover until COVID, till this monetary policy basically loosened up the credit side. In 2017, in Ontario, interest rates were rising a little bit there, so I don't want to conflate, you know, causality here, but there was a non-resident speculation tax in Ontario in, in the Greater Golden Horseshoe in the beginning of 2017. And prices from peak to trough there, and, and a lot of this was basically really isolated to the the luxury market. But we were seeing basically prices came down in those areas from peak to trough as high as forty percent, right? In some of these more luxurious areas in the Greater Toronto area, so your Oakville, Newmarket, Aurora, etc. And if you go back, I guess to answer your question, if you go back to look at the National House Price Index, so the National HPI on those areas. And what was happening as a result of that, it looks like the national house price came down. And house prices were maybe settling or, or moving down a little bit as a result of changes in the interest rate and stress test as well. B20 was announced at that point. But you know the Vancouver and Toronto markets do have the ability to skew the national average, right? And so it's an important distinction to say, yeah, okay, look, like prices could come down 20%. In, in Canada, the HPI is already moving down significantly on a national level. But if you look at these charts, you know, I mean, I think in Western Canada, so basically, if you look at Calgary, Chilliwack, Edmonton, Greater Vancouver, Interior BC, Lower Mainland, and Vancouver markets, I think really most of them are rolling over. But then when you get to the prairies, you look at Regina, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, they're all still coming up except for Winnipeg is the first one to kind of be rolling over. So a lot of these markets are actually still moving on an upward trajectory. And similarly, yeah. like... Sorry, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, just just so everyone is aware, these are all charts that we've pulled from the HPI that are all available in the show notes. So if you do want to go through, I'd highly recommend to do so. 
But yeah. sorry, continue, Dan. No, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, there's a, a handy tool on the habistat.com as well that you can actually just create these charts on your own. It basically uses CREA, Canadian Real Estate Association's house price index data. But I mean, look, we're starting to see a lot of these these markets that ran up. They basically look like hockey stick graphs, right? They're kind of like Al Gore, like inconvenient truth, gra- carbon in the atmosphere <laughs> graphs, right? Where it's just like flat and then they shoot right up basically like at around that 2020 mark. And they're starting to recoil almost with the exact same severity that they ran up. So, and, and that seems to be the major correlation here, right? It's the unsustainability, the speed at which things went up is very much correlated to the speed at which they're coming down, right? So you are seeing a lot of these markets that are more insulated because they didn't run up nearly as much. And if you really, the easiest way to think about this is look at those run-ups and then put your reversion to the mean, right? So draw that 6.11% annualized growth line, right? And look at how much of a gap needs to be covered by the current price to get back to that line, right? And if you look at some of these areas and, you know, that didn't have as, as severe of run-ups, you know, Quebec City being a market that I'm really attracted to actually, because I think it's got great a potential for tourism resurrection. It's a great city. It was actually prior to COVID was rated one of the best cities for millennials to live in from a workplace perspective as well. You know, it's not deviating a lot from that that average and just based on what we know about the economy, it wants to return to that average growth rate, right? We can only really sustain a, a natural growth rate of a certain amount within the economy. The mo- current monetary policy environment might have changed that a little bit, but I think that you know it's it's worth noting, okay, and especially if, if to analyze this for the perspective of investors, what's my worst case scenario? Okay, my worst case scenario is I'm getting into an investment that's right now 10 or 15% above that mean trend line. Would I still hold this thing or would I still buy this if it recoiled all the way back to that mean trend line, if it returned to that average growth scenario and continued to grow at 6.11% indefinitely, right? And that to me is when you found yourself a compelling investment. It's the same as a stock, right? It's a company. Is it a business that you believe in? You need to think about the asset the same way. Is this an asset that I really believe will stand the test of time or it's going to produce good income or whatever it is? Yeah, I love that. I think that's an, another takeaway from from the TCI guys that you know they say, know the company that you invest in, right? If you can't tell me what a company that you own X amount of shares does, you probably shouldn't own it. If you can't tell me what schools there are in, you know, Sudbury or North Bay, you probably shouldn't own there. So one thing I think that would be would be kind of cool is when we get these show notes and, and something that Dan and I have both done and, and we're doing well before we had this number one podcast is taking now again, we'll make these show notes available. All these graphs will be available. What I would recommend is a great exercise look at each one of those markets, look at the top producing ones, or sorry, the top growth ones and the lowest growth ones, which still have enormous growth in them. They're across Canada. Pull up MLS for each one of those, right? Go analyze something in Regina, go analyze something in Winnipeg, analyze something in North Bay. You can. It, it's literally so easy to do that stuff to figure out where you want your next investment to be or where you don't and or just you know, being able to analyze and understand overall real estate trends. Why did North Bay have the highest U-Haul index, you know, two years in a row? Why is Regina lagging behind for the rest of Canada in, in growth? So that's just my two cents. I think that would be a great exercise for for anyone, you know, new investor or seasoned investor to just go through and and really try to figure out, you know, develop your own thesis as as to why these these things are are 
you know, skyrocketing here and, and then slowly growing in other places. Now, I think that brings us to our last segment. I think we wanted to touch on rent a little bit as well, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. And and I do want to maybe just curtail the thought that you were just having, which is, you know, analyze a lot of these investments in these markets today based on the prices today. You know, so if you're looking at markets or if you're looking at investments in North Bay, analyze them after they've grown at 30 plus percent yes. for the past several yes. years and see what they look like. Because, you know, it, it come, coming back to that idea where in the stock market, where it's like, if you love this stock at a hundred bucks, you're going to love it at $50, right? If you felt like it was a good investment, right? So I love that if, line. Yeah. And, and I mean, if, if a lot of these assumptions don't change, the rental market isn't going to collapse anytime soon, right? So rents are likely going to hold. They're going to have a lot more stickiness than asset prices will in the rising rate environment. If anything, actually, we're seeing upward pressure on rents from people being pushed out of ownership and being added to the rental pool because they can no longer afford due to rising interest rate costs. Like Housing is actually less affordable than it was before prices started to come down. Right? People need to really think about that. And so from my perspective, analyze these assets based on today being almost your worst case scenario. Would I buy a house in Moncton? Would I buy a house in North Bay? Would I, or would I prefer to buy a house in a lower growth market? So it's just Saskatchewan where rents are the lowest on that, on that list, right? And then start patiently looking and analyzing deals and, and looking at more and more tra- potential transactions and going through that process of trying to find the right one, right? From my perspective, this is the kind of market where if you pick the right municipality, if you pick the right geography, you could really succeed as an investor. I would I would liken this to a stock picker's market, right? Where if you really know how to research a market, if you really know how to research an asset and you choose the right one, you could massively outperform the broad market. You could massively outperform some of these other markets that might be due for some recoil or might have bad fundamentals or whatever. There's more risk present in in those markets, right? And that's to me the big difference between the top of the list that we're looking at, these highest growth markets, there's there's more risk associated with those than the bottom of the list where there hasn't been a ton of price growth. So there's not a lot of downside risk on your equity, right? You can really focus on buying an asset for what it should be, which is, you know, the earnings and the eventual capital appreciation. You're not buying it in hopes that it's going to continue on that 32% annualized growth trajectory because it's clearly not as we're starting to see a lot of these markets curl over, right? Yeah, that ain't going to happen. Things just don't go up and up and up and up without coming down. And and you know what? That's actually a... Are you, are you done with the rents? No, I, well, the, we'll use no? this to pivot into sort of what's happening with the rents there. But so, you know, I mean, if you look at rents, basically in 2019 rents were growing at record rates. They still haven't reached that that growth rate. I think in 2019, the final quarter of 2019, nationally, median rent by quarter for all property types. And this is rentals.ca data, which is great data put out by Ben Myers. And basically, rents grew 10.6% in that final quarter of 2019. And they started coming down almost as... This is before COVID even, in Q1 of 2020. They were relatively unchanged. They're down a tiny bit. They started coming down into Q2 of 2020 as COVID was taking hold. And you were starting to see almost net negative household formation, right? So people were moving out of the cores. People were moving out of rental arrangements and moving back in with their parents to go work from home or whatever it is. You're seeing a lot of that, right? That trend Or everyone was moving to North Bay. Yeah, exactly. Or everybody was getting rid of their (laughs) rental condos in Toronto and going to buy cottages in North Bay. That trend continued. That downtrend continued. Rents weren't moving in a positive direction until Q4 of last year. And that was a very, very mild positive direction until Q4 of 2020. Then starting this year, we've seen major quarter over quarter growth in rents. 
And it's expected that this is going to continue. And this is happening for a couple of different reasons. The major ones being, you know, inflation, right? All costs of all goods are going up. And so landlords are beginning to capitalize rents in. But you're starting to see a lot more new household formation. You're starting to see a lot of people in higher wealth categories who were potentially were purchasers of houses in January or February of this year. And now because of price or because of interest rates are being pushed into that rental pool. And they're actually they're putting pressure on the top end of the rental pool. So they're pulling up sort of the high end, right? So there's a lot of phenomena right now that are really supporting, from my perspective, what is the earnings, you know, the the income situation of an investment. So investments are becoming more and more compelling based on what rents are doing. And so the only question that that really remaining is what is are the prices doing? And if you have rents going up at the same time that prices are coming down, the rate of return that you're starting to see on real estate investments over the next couple of years is going to be shocking to a lot of people. We're going to see cap rates that we haven't seen for two, three, four years, just based on the fact that how quickly rents are climbing and how quickly prices are coming down in a lot of markets. Yeah. I mean, again, it's no secret rents are going up. You've seen it in in the media. Dan and I talk about it in, a, in an episode prior to this. So I think that's that's a we dropped a lot of information today, man. That 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 was pretty good. I I hope that you know for all those listening, we actually just got our first piece of fan mail. Warmed my heart. It was fantastic. Shout out Zach. Thanks for listening. Zach's from the East Coast, and just thought he'd reach out with a couple questions and let us know that he thought Dan and I were doing some cool stuff, which is great to hear. And what I'm getting at is we want you guys to reach out to us. This was our first attempt at what's going to be a kind of reoccurring episode, right? We go over the Korea stats. We'll analyze different markets. If there's a market that you want to hear about specifically, reach out. If there's anything you want to hear specifically, or if you just want to tell us that, you know, we've got good podcast voices, we'll take that too. So reach out to us. The email is in the show notes as well. All of the graphs and charts that we reference throughout the podcast will be in the show notes. Yeah, I'm sitting in a hotel right now. I should be sitting on a beach. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go do that. What do you got the rest of the day, Dan? Yeah, I got the Twitter space today. I also just wanted to give a big shout out to everybody who's been incredibly supportive throughout this whole thing. You know, we couldn't have asked for a better launch and the feedback has been amazing so far. Keep it coming with the good questions, the information that you want us to cover. We really want this to be a research-based podcast. You know, we want, our goal here is to to create value, as much value as we can for people who are interested in investing in real estate. And a lot of cases, you know, I don't necessarily know what the best topics to cover are. And so if you can if you can continue just letting me know what kind of things you guys want to learn about, I'd really appreciate that. The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317 and a partner in GNH Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.